There's a line that we just sang a moment ago about uh, in, in the song Cornerstone that our anchor holds within the veil. I don't know if many of you know what that means. That's a, kind of an old way of saying that even in death, our anchor is firm. That, and the veil was, it was used as a way to describe death. And that even in the veil, uh, our anchor holds English to, to understand what those older songs are talking about. I... There are a lot of unhappy people in the world. Do I hear amen? There are a lot of people. They have searched in vain trying to find some human reason to be happy joy, and then it leaves them empty. It just does. There's nothing but God that can fill your God hole in your heart. There's just nothing. In regards to origin... Our young people are told you're an accident, you came from an amoeba, you came from a monkey, give us enough time and it will all happen, just trust us. If you're a teenager and you're told you're an accident, how are you going to live your life? Or how about their destiny in regards to that? You're an accident. You're not going any place. When you die, you die in the end of story. There's no purpose to your life. There's no identity to your life. You're just an accident. Boy, when you try to fill that in your heart, that hole that's there about who you came from, where you're going, who your identity is in, and your purpose in life, you can come up pretty unhappy, huh? With that theology, no wonder people are miserable. People are angry. People are jealous. People are snarky to their neighbor. How many of you were snarky this week? Just a tad, maybe? Okay, maybe to a neighbor, maybe to a co-worker, maybe to somebody in the line at Walmart. People are fixated on themselves running. People are dissatisfied, discontent, discontented, demoralized, people are anxious, people are awful. I know this is such a pick-me-up bouquet, right? People are ambivalent, people are discouraged, depressed, and deranged. There are crazy people out there, aren't there? There are crazy people you read about in the news all the time. People are hurried, hassled, and hustled. But then there are Christians in the world and our identity is, and who we belong to. Christians are friends to the friendless. Christians smile at others. Christians open the doors for other people. Christians don't tailgate. Do not tailgate. Oh, man, that just drives me batty. Christians are to be others-oriented because Christ is others-oriented. We're kind to others. Christians are the ones that buy a bag of groceries when they know their neighbor's out of work. They're the ones that see someone that needs a meal and takes them to Subway and feeds them a sandwich. Christians are the ones that are in juxtaposition. Lives in joy. We should be living our lives in joy. Do I hear a, that's right? That's, that's the way it's supposed to work. Christians go and shingle somebody's house, don't they? You see, there's a conflict in our world. The world, Satan, even your flesh, loves to serve up fear all the time. 
I want, you to, I want you to realize that there are principalities and philosophies that are designed to embed fear into the world. But as a Christian, we're to have joy, not fear. That's the opposite. And why? Why does the world, the flesh, even Satan, because it discredits God. Because when things are, when you're having a trial, when you're in trouble, when you're having a, a tribulation, the flesh serves up fear so that you will discredit God because you're going to subtly, very subtly, accuse him of not really loving you. Accuse him of not really taking care of you. You will accuse him if fear overwhelms you because you're like, where are you, God? How come you're not fixing this? Let me give you an example from just this last week. This is how the world works on fear. And it uses fake news to just drive it home. Headline this week, uh, one of many, but here was the headline. 40% of Americans don't have $400 in the bank for an emergency. Sounds pretty scary, right? What? 40% of Americans? That means this half over here, you don't have $400 that if an emergency came up that you would be flat out on the street, something would ha tragically happen to you? Okay, who ran this story? New York Times, NBC, ABC, CBS, Bloomberg, MSNBC, CNN, and all the other net, uh, networks. They quote the Federal Reserve poll saying 40% of Americans don't have enough savings to cover a $400 medical emergency or car repair, according to the Federal Reserve Board. That sounds pretty ominous, doesn't it? It sounds like we're about to just fall off the face of the earth. See how the world is stirring up fear? Ah, well, I clicked on the actual report. I wanted to see what the report said, so I clicked on the report. Huh. The question wasn't, do you have $400? The question was, how would you pay for the $400? Would you use cash? Would you get into your savings account? Would you put it on a credit card? Would you put it on a credit card and pay it off next month? Would, and they included college students, would you ask mommy and daddy for a $400 loan? Would you, 6% said, oh, $400 bill's nothing. 87% said, different. Why? Why would the news media twist the Americans in general are suffering? One reason. To stoke fear. To stoke fear. See, fear makes you miserable. Fear makes you question God's goodness. Fear makes you shrink from, away from your faith. F fear appeals to your flesh. Worry anxiousness, doubt. It immobilizes you. It gets you to focus on your circumstances instead of the Creator God. That's why there's fake news. It is all designed to confuse you, to get you... Wow. Now in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, pulling back from two weeks ago, Paul said, therefore stand firm in the faith in this way. And last week we talked about one of the ways that we stand firm in the Lord is that we agree in the Lord. Remember the two women that were fighting? And Paul says, hey, forget your opinions, forget your preferences. You guys need to come together and be what? 
agree in the Lord. That's your common ground. And that's one of the ways that we stay united, is that we are united in Christ. I cannot believe how much division is, sold, is told in everybody else. I don't find that to actually be true. I, I run into all sorts of different people, and they're kind and loving, if they have Jesus especially. But th- we're not out there killing one another, as sounds like in the news. Now, we stand firm in the Lord, but today, the second way to stand firm in the Lord is the direct opposite of what we've just been talking about, about this fear. The sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. No, it's not. Having joy in the Lord is a way, is a way of standing firm in the Lord. Christian, you should be the happiest person in the world. You should be the most joyous person in the world. You should be the most blessed person in the world because of your relationship with Jesus. And so how do you stand firm in the Lord? He's going to tell us. So I hope you have your Bibles. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to pick it up. And and this is very practical stuff that Paul's going to give us. Chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. He says this. Back to verse 1. Stand firm thus or in this way in the Lord, my beloved. Drop down to verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness... Now, some of your versions may say gentleness. It may say contentedness. It may have a different word, and we'll get into that in a moment. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In light of all the fear and the sky is falling, everything that is negative and everything that's being spun in the news, everything is just terrible. No, no, no. It's not. And he says, this is how you deal with it. This is how you in the Lord. And it is this. Here's the very first fill in the blank. Rejoicing in the Lord. How do you stand firm in the Lord? You rejoice in the Lord. The focus, now I don't know if you can see that I bolded this. Rejoicing in the Lord. That's the key. That is the key. The focus of what you're rejoicing in helps you either stand or it's going to make you fall. Do you rejoice in stuff? You're going to be disappointed. You're just going to be disappointed. It will get oldness. My pride and joy, can I use those words? My pride and joy as a fourth was an eight-track player. Eight-track tape player. It was this little white little machine. It was so cool. It looked futuristic. That it probably got passed on to a Goodwill store. After it went to a Goodwill store, it's going to go where? the trash. It's going to go to the dump. Are you to rejoice in your stuff? Is that where your joy comes from? 
you're going to be disappointed if that is what you're living for. If that is the thing that you're trying to fill and, uh, and, and get rid of fear by using stuff, it ain't going to work. How about if you try to find stuff? Uh, I mean, um, what about your hobbies? Can you find joy in your hobbies? And you all said, yeah, I, I kind of have some hobbies. I, I like my hobbies. But is that where your joy comes from? Because that too doesn't have staying power. Eyes grow weak. Motor skills in your hands start to not work the way they used to. Charles used to make stained glass windows. He can't do it anymore. He can't have joy in his hobby anymore. Accomplishments. You're going to start living in the past. Because that's where all the great stuff happened. Let me ask you this. Is the best yet to come? Well, not if it's about accomplishments or whatever. It's like, oh, I, I've lived my life. This is the best yet to come. Well, it is if it's rooted in, in Christ. But if it's not rooted in Christ, you're going to be disappointed if your joy comes from your accomplishments. Or how about your job? Or how about, better yet, people? Oh, that grandchild, she's my pride and joy. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that little girl over there is going to disappoint me one day. Mom, Dad, you can say amen, because you know it. One day she'll disappoint. Why? Because that's just the way it is. People disappoint other people. Paul does not say rejoice in your circumstances, because circumstances change. They're unstable. They shift. They move. They go up. They go down. You are to rejoice where? In the Lord. That's the key have to rejoice in the Lord, the unshakable rock, the unchanging one. You find your joy in Jesus. I mean, it's, it's a cliche. Your joy for your life is rooted and grounded in one person and one person alone, and that's Jesus. He transcends your troubles. He transcends your trials bigger than all of that. He now, I'll tell you this. I'll give you an example first. Yesterday, Scott and Brittany moved, and Bob helped, and Chris helped, and Scott. So I'm a Johnny come lately to the party, okay? Now, he's military, he's military, and he's military. And all three of them are at the back of the U-Haul, and they're all talking about airplanes, and they're talking about live rounds found in drawers and are talking about a 307 or a 52 or a something and here I am and I, I am clueless to what they're talking about it is not my realm I am not getting one bit of joy out of this conversation <laughs> but you should see the smiles on their faces I mean they're just reveling in their military days or military knowledge Bob's talking about helicopters and and Chris is talking about this airplane and this piece of junk that the army has to have and all that other stuff. Now, how, how am I going to tie this in? L jump with me. Jump with me here, okay? And you're talking to him and you sense him. You're going to have joy that's overwhelming. 
And so there's this direct correlation that when you know Jesus, you get to know joy because it's a package deal. But if you don't really know Jesus, how are you going to know joy if Jesus is the source of joy? He said right there in the text, that joy comes from that intimate personal relationship that transcends earthly places. It's worshiping and and walking moment by moment with the Creator God. It's seeing that sunrise and suddenly the Lord just like touches your heart. Has that ever happened to you? I hope it has. Or you see a sunset and God just whispers to you and you just go, oh, thank you, Jesus. It's having that great cup of coffee (laughs) when you wake up. Do you know what I'm talking about, having a great cup of coffee? If you don't know how to have a great cup of coffee, you need to hang out with me for a little while. (laughs) I'll give you a great cup of coffee. And you sit there and you taste it and you just go, what? Thank you, Jesus. That was good. It's, It's like this moment in time where he just pushes your contented button. I don't know about you, but when I have my cup of coffee in the morning, Jesus is pushing my contentedness button. It's like the day is before me, and Jesus' eye is going to go forward in it, that everything's going to be okay. That's how we, we get to know that Jesus. It's knowing His goodness, knowing His sweetness, knowing His strength, His power, His character, His integrity, His promises. It's knowing Jesus. Christians rejoice in Jesus, not our circumstances. You get a raise at work, what do you do? You say, thank you, Jesus. But that's not where your joy comes from. Joy isn't based on it. You get a flat tire and you're late for work, what do you say? You still say, thank you, Jesus, because your joy is independent of a flat tire and being late to work. Let's go to, back to verse 5. Let, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say to you, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let's, let's try to do the fill-in-the-blank here, and, and you're going to have a multitude of words to put in, but for, for the next fill-in-the-blank, I just put the word gentleness. Standing firm in the Lord, catch this, explain that. Because you're like, what does that mean? A river flows, right? A lake stores. Look at the text again. Look at the text, and it says this. Let your gentleness, reasonableness, whatever word we're going to fill in there in a second, be known to everyone. How does everybody know your gentleness? If it flows through you, people will know your gentleness. If you're a contented person, it will flow through you. You're not a lake, you're a river. It's allowing, this whole process says that you are allowing your reasonableness to flow through you onto everyone. So this phrase describes really a grace that flows through you. And this word for reasonableness You know why they have a hard time translating it? There is no English word that captures the essence of the Greek word. It's a combination. Aristotle used it. 
um, Socrates used it. You can go study about it. And everyone, it can mean leniency. It can mean you don't, for, you forbear someone, which means you put up with grief that somebody's giving you. So you could say, let your forbearance be known. Let your contentedness be known. Let your gentleness be known. Let your considered known. Let your equitableness. These are all the ways that this word has been translated. Let your fairness be known. Let your be known. Let your big heartedness be known to everyone. So there's this aspect of this grace that flows through you and touches the lives of everybody around you. It's an aspect of humility. Now, I I was convicted this week. And I mean, ever been hit with the Lord by a two-by-four? That happened to me as I was studying this passage. Tammy and I bought something. And when we bought it, they said, hey, we have free, free delivery. I said, great, free delivery. I like that. And so how does that work? We'll call you the day it's set out for delivery and tell you when we were going to deliver it. Sweet. So I get a call. Uh, Mr. Wayne, 8 and uh, 4 o'clock. I said, what? Day next to my door for the next eight hours or however many hours. And you know what he tells me? He says, you're lucky. It's normally 8 to 8, but we're only working till 4 tomorrow. I said, well, and I said, uh, this isn't right. And he said, would you like me to transfer you to the return department? Oh, I'm starting to get a little heated. And I'm like, I think I want to buy this somewhere else. So I put the hand over the phone, and I said, Tammy, does Home Depot sell this thing? That guy, he doesn't want to deliver it. He's going to give us an eight-hour window where we have to be there. And the man said, I'm listening. (laughs) Now, why did I say all that? Because I was not letting my reasonableness be shown. I was getting offended. I was getting worked up. And suddenly I got off the phone and I went right back to this text because I was studying it. And my eyes fell on, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And I thought, oh, Lord, I just, I just fell. I wasn't standing in the Lord right then. I fell in the Lord. I fell, and I fell big time. And I was convicted about how... I am to allow buildingness. All of that is to come in and be a part of my attitude, a part of my spirit. I, I, I don't, I, I like the word gentleness. That's why I threw it up there. But it's not out of a weakness. It's out of a heavenly gentleness. A- according to the, to, to the original language, it means that you have sovereign power, because this word is used of Jesus. You have sovereign power, but you're gentle as a lamb. Wow. And then go back to the text. He says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So here's the next fill in the blank. 
The way that we stand firm is that we're not anxious, but we're prayerful with thanksgiving. The Lord is near. His presence is right here. Truth be told, sometimes we get so focused and caught up in our circumstances, we do not sense the presence of the Lord. We can't feel the presence of the Lord. We can't see the presence of the Lord. We can't even sense the presence of the Lord because that's not where we're focused. We're focused on what? Our trouble, our problem, our dysfunction, our depression, whatever it is, we're focused on that. And he says, wait, the Lord is near. Remember this? Jesus has had a hard day of ministry. And he has fallen asleep on a cushion in this little rickety boat. And the disciples are rowing across the Sea of Galilee. And this terrible windstorm comes sweeping down. And it causes the waves to rise and fall. And the waves are crashing into the boat. Now these are experienced fishermen. They've lived their entire life on this lake. And this squall is getting the better of them to the point that they become fearful. And they start bucketing the boat. And then they run over to Jesus. They wake him up and say, Don't you care about us? And what does Jesus say? I'm going to paraphrase it. What does he say? Why are you afraid? I'm right here. I'm right here. Do you know you can walk into the oncology unit and Jesus is right there? You can walk into a tough job and Jesus is there. You can walk into an empty pantry and Jesus is there. You can take a phone call from a bill collector, and guess what? Jesus is there. You can walk into a fiery furnace, and Jesus is there. You can have a $400 emergency, and guess what? Jesus is there. That's what the text is saying. It says the Lord is at hand. Your version might say the Lord is near. Jesus is always with you. So why do we have to be anxious? Why do we have to be filled with fear? We don't. We do not have to be fearful. You can either focus on the trouble, the trial, the tribulation, and bring its presence in, or you can focus on Jesus and bring in his joy and his peace. See, God can handle anything. God can handle anything. I think you need to help me say it. God can handle anything. No worrying, no coping devices, no coping mechanisms, no fear. Don't, do not be anxious about anything. And if you don't think the Lord can handle it, then I think you need to get to know the Lord better. Your problem is you're, you're anxious because you don't believe God. I don't know who said that. I read it somewhere, but I liked it. Your problem is you're, you're anxious because you don't believe what God... And he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication... He doesn't say, suck it up, Nancy. Isn't that nice? 
that God never tells us, suck it up, Nancy, in, in, in this regard. He says, tell me about your troubles. Tell me about your, your pain. Tell me about your discouragement. Tell me about your frustration. Tell me. I am your intimate relationship. You can trust me. I can hold a confidence. Tell me what's going on in your heart. Talk to me. And then he uses three different words for prayer, all expressing a hurting heart. But notice that he says, don't do it whiny. Nobody likes a whiny kid. God doesn't like his, whiny, his kids to be whiny, but with an attitude of thankfulness. Because thankfulness is connected to trust. Doubting his goodness towards you, not doubting his character, not second-guessing what he's doing, but a thankful heart is a trusting heart. And you can say it this way, a trusting heart is a thankful heart. Did you catch that? How you could reverse that? Scripture says, cast all your cares upon Him. Why? Because He cares for you. He knows you better than you think. He knows everything that's going on in your life. And praying releases me from fear and makes me refocus on God's goodness. My eyes are on the problem solver, not on the problem. Amen. My eyes get moved off of the problem onto the problem solver. Prayer releases me from fear. All that stuff that we talked about in the intro of this message, the world needs Jesus, and if he doesn't have Jesus, they're going to focus on their fear. But when you got Jesus, you've got joy. And thanking him, not just saying it, but actively thanking him specifically brings clarity and calm, and it brings a new perspective. If you're not engaged in actually thanking him and you just kind of do a lip service, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, amen, kind of just to almost blast, it's like, no, 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 no. Work with him. Work through it. Share your heart. Explain your heart. And then when you're praying, well, that, that can discourage a pastor when half his flock is gone and, and you start looking at it that way and go, oh, wait, wait, wait. Maybe there's a reason. Maybe God has a, another plan. Maybe somebody's doing something that's more powerful than this. May, I don't know. And so I need to release that and let that go and be thrilled and thankful for what I do have. Whether it's my finances or my children or my marriage or my this or that, I need to be thankful and really be actively thanking him. Thank you for the nail that went into Tammy's finger because tomorrow she gets a tetanus shot. Right? I don't know how God's going to cause it, but I'm going to be thankful. That new perspective allows you to maybe to discover what God is actually doing in your life. We stand on this promise out of Romans 8.28. God causes all things to work together for good for what? For those who are called according to His purpose. Catch that. Those that love Him, they work out for bad. But for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, God causes all things to work together to the one who trusts him, to the one that has a thankful attitude, even when we have trouble. I need to close. Uh, let me say it this way. 
I'm going to quote a guy named John McCarthy Old. I mean, he's been preaching, it seems like, for 50 50- Yeah, He has a ministry in, in Southern California that's pretty old. I mean, he's been preaching, it seems like, for 50 years. But he says this, If you understand that my God shall supply all your needs, if you understand that God knows everything in your life and cares about it, if you understand that God has the power for every, every difficulty, if you understand that God is perfecting you to be like Christ, if you understand that nothing escapes God and nothing is outside of his tolerance and his purposes, then why would you fear and be anxious about anything? Last Saturday, we were roofing Tammy's house, and, and Mike was on the ground, and he said, Pastor, what's the verse of the day? I don't know if you remember that. And I got out my phone, and I went to Isaiah 26. Because there's, there's a... a, a a verse there that just speaks to my heart, but I'm going to just... You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Because look at verse 7, I'm the tail end of verse 7. He says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The supernatural peace defies logic because it is not based in human reasoning. It's not based on human understanding. It surpasses all understanding. That in the midst of a, of a bad situation, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a tribulation, your soul can have complete peace. And God fills you with His supernatural peace. And then that guards your heart. It guards your heart against all the things that we started with, the fear, the anxiety, the discouragement, the frustration, and all of its ugly fruit of dysfunction and addiction and confusion. This is a passage that my heart would implore your heart to memorize if you haven't already. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. God is with you because joy comes in the form of a person. And as we come into a time of communion, I I just want you to truly thank Him. Thank Him for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Stretch your faith by saying, Lord, I thank you for this trouble. I don't know what you're going to do to me through it, but I thank you. I thank you for my shingles. I thank you that I have to use a walker. I thank you that I have to get whatever the fill in the blank is and show me your perspective because God, you can do anything. Let me pray. Father God.